Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. And in a week in which the most talked about basketball shooting statistic concerned Steph Curry's three-pointers, mm-hmm. the most notable basketball shooting statistic in the betting world had to do with a free throw in a college game between Chicago State and Illinois State. Josiah Strong went two for two from the line late in the game. The scoreboard only increased by one, and Illinois State ended up announced the winner by nine points in a game in which they were favored by nine and a half at some books. Long story short, the score was eventually corrected, and most sports books ended up paying out both sides. No big deal, given the low volume on this game. But it was sports bettors complaining that brought this scoring error to light. John, do we have to take all past sports statistics with a grain of salt? Is it possible Wilt only scored 99 in that game and the <laughs> official score is screwed up, but we'd never know because there were no regulated sports books offering an over under 99 and a half point prop? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they weren't. You know, Eric, that, game, that Wilt game was actually played in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and it mm-hmm. wasn't on television anywhere. Uh, no, I wasn't there, but I <laughs> did have I did have the privilege of interviewing Wilt a few times in his post playing career, and those are some of my favorite interviews. Uh, you know, one of them was about a half hour with just me, Wilt, and Bill Russell, and. Well, that would be a good humble brag if there was anything humble about it, come to think of it. But anyway, anyway, so the uh, the good news is that if you live in Illinois, you couldn't bet on this game legally because of the right. so-called Jersey rule against betting on college teams in your state that some states have for whatever reason. Uh, and if you bet on this game and you don't live in Illinois, come on, what are you doing? So still, this is Division One hoops and was on TV. And if nothing else, I hope this dissuades any notion of adding Division Two or three games to the list of events anywhere. Uh, we have enough uh, things to bet on. Uh, I do respect the idea of, Watch as interest in college sports doesn't decrease by even a millimeter because of some dopey screw up in a legal regulated gambling world. Hmm, that's not what I was told just a few years ago. Right. Certainly not. The tune has changed on all that sort of stuff. Um, it really, this situation uh, actually comes back to that Al Michaels line significant to some, uh, you know, when a team covered at the end of an otherwise decided game um regulated sports gambling makes otherwise insignificant statistics significant sometimes and uh, the stats are a little more likely to be accurate now than they were in the past at least after the fact if not in the moment so uh imagine that legal sports betting increasing the integrity of the game maybe the league should pay the sports books an integrity fee what do you think of that idea that's an idea uh, i also should note that this really went viral thanks to our friend captain jack andrews mm-hmm. on twitter uh, who had been sent uh, as he noted on when i was on with him on twitter spaces uh, wednesday night another humble brag there anyway uh, <laughs> he, he noted that the the better that alerted to this had a five-figure wager on the game on an offshore sports book So he also said that uh, Jack found out that some of the those books paid out and some of them didn't. And of course, you have no, you know, avenue to complain, even if you're betting five figures. So uh, he's not sure if that better was made whole, uh, because in some cases you were, in some cases you weren't. I'm not going to name who did and who didn't, but uh, that's another argument, perhaps, for betting an illegal regulated site, because then you can at least complain to your state attorney general, and you might have recourse. Hey, if you're offshore, book sells. To get lost, you get lost. 
Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good uh, point. I didn't realize that uh, detail of, of the bet that he was uh, reporting on. Yeah, I mean, sometimes these uh, situations where people are upset with their sports books uh, don't lead anywhere. But uh, quite often, some degree of justice is done, it seems, when there's at least some sort of division of gaming enforcement overseeing things. So uh, this is one where at least if you bet on it legally in the, in the U.S., uh, it seems uh, actually you kind of won either way. If you missed by half a point, uh, in reality, you probably got paid out early. And uh, if you uh, hit by half a point, you got paid out later, it seems. And Chicago State, Illinois State, if you're betting that game, uh, you got to win by more than one point. I mean, it's so obscure. <laughs> well, like if, you, if you're so sharp that you know that this is a this is a bad line and your team's going to win by three or 17, you have a pretty good feeling. And that's roughly what happens. Then you win your money. I'm, I'm all for it. You didn't do so well because you picked out an obscure game although it is division one and you were you know one missed or made free throw away from winning or losing that's not good enough if you're a sharp i'm pretty sure well i don't know i'm sure some guy has some algorithm that uh, <laughs> told him that this uh, spread should have been uh 9.3 and it was actually 9.5 and therefore there was value i don't know i, I, I don't want to assume anything uh, but uh either way a win is a win right Absolutely. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 173 of Gamble On. At least I think it's episode 173. might be number 174 or 172 and nobody would know uh anyway if you missed any of our previous x minus one episodes they're all available on spreaker apple podcast spotify and all other podcast apps please subscribe rate and review and coming up a little later in the show we're going to be joined by u.s bookmaking president and sports betting hall of famer vic salerno he's going to talk about whether sports books should want business from sharp bettors what has surprised him about the rolling out of legal betting in the last three and a half years in the u.s and what u.s bookmaking's plans are with the sports book at ocean casino in atlantic city but first it's been a too busy for this old guy week in the world of gambling so let's get to it here's your gamble on news of the week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling We know you love a good legal saga in the gambling biz, John. Uh, Well, who knows if this will turn into a full-blown saga, but for now, it's a weird and fascinating legal situation with the Australian-based sports betting company PlayUp suing its U.S. CEO, Dr. Leila Mintas, for breach of contract. And PlayUp was even granted a temporary restraining order against her. According to the lawsuit, PlayUp was negotiating a contract extension with Mintas. Those negotiations collapsed, and Mintas then interfered with the possible sale of the company to another company called FTX. In negotiations, Mintas allegedly wanted to double her salary to $1 million a year, and the TRO was needed because she allegedly threatened to, quote, burn PlayUp to the ground. Uh, John, you were the first reporter to get comment from Mintas, uh, who you know a bit from her constant work on the gaming conference circuit. In a written response to you, Mintas denied all charges and said she would be filing a legal response explaining her position. And by the way, former Gambleon guest Dennis Drazen has been installed as PlayUp's chairman. Uh, John, what do you make of all this? And do you see saga potential here? Could, could this lead to a long and drawn out legal battle between the company and its former CEO? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, 
unfortunate to say the least. Uh, as you know, Mintos is a figure on the gaming conference merry-go-round, usually moderating or guesting on a panel or two. So obviously a bitter contract dispute with dirty laundry out there means neither side wins. Um, I think of the Phil Ivey uh, Borgata saga that I wrote about for several years. You know, that was great. Uh, Phil Ivey's persona is this outside the box, larger than life character. And he was in on this edge sorting scheme that was kind of on the border of legal or illegal. And that was the big dispute. Borgata is the biggest casino in Atlantic City. You know, they threw all kinds of haymakers at each other. But in the end, there was a, a you know, a settlement and nobody was harmed. Phil Ivey maybe added to his, uh, you know, uh, rogue reputation and Borgata was like the big kingpin target. So maybe that it didn't hurt anybody. This is bad. This is really bad. I mean, and I'd be lying if I said I hadn't heard this was the talk of the Nickel G's legislative conference in Austin, Texas this week. Right. One of the only ones I've skipped in the past few years, by the way. Yeah, I'd say this is bound to be settled discreetly soon, but I'd have said there's no way things even get this far to, you know, public filings in a Nevada uh, federal court. Mintas is saying the company's falsely claiming she's on vacation. There's a temporary restraining order against her commenting any further. You know, she said she can gain whistleblower status and talking to regulators about, you know, potential misdeeds by the company and so on. Uh, there's serious personal bad blood here. So it, nobody's winning this thing. Yeah, this is a really unique story. We, we haven't covered anything quite like it in no. the industry, other than there maybe being a hint of overlap with the Ocean versus Borgata poaching oh, case, yeah, just yeah. in terms of a little corporate betrayal, I true, guess. Uh, but um, the TRO does seem quite necessary while this plays out, whether Mintas did or didn't do the thing she's accused of, the allegations alone mean it would be troublesome for her to be in touch with these other companies in the space right now. Um, but yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to add because I don't know exactly what's true and what isn't. And she hasn't presented her side yet other than to say what PlayUp is saying isn't true. So it's they said, she said for now. Um, but, you know, never a dull moment in this industry. And, um, hey, uh, you know, people are talking about PlayUp more than ever. Um, it's been a very under the radar brand in the U.S. till now. Uh, no such thing as bad press, they say. Uh, people know the name PlayUp now. I guess they've got that going for them. Yeah, I think the bottom line thing that Mintas has said is that, you know, one of the biggest accusations is that this company was about to be sold, right? And then Mintas supposedly jumped in and said, you don't want them, you want me, so the heck with them and, and I'll join up with you. That's the claim, right? right. Now, she's saying that there's email showing that that is not why the deal broke down and she can prove it. So if she can prove that, that's very seriously heavily on her side. And mm -hmm. if she can't, then that's an issue. So that, that I think we're going to get somewhere with that because now we have sort of a, you know, that's the call, right? In the poker game where, okay, you're <laughs> right. saying you've got this. If you have that, you know, you get the chips. And if you don't, you know, or if it's very murky or whatever, then not so much. And so I, I think, you know, we everybody should really wait and see if that uh, comes to fruition, because if it does, uh, again, that goes to her. And if not, then it, it doesn't so much. Yeah. Yep. All right. It'll be interesting to see what happens next there. Um, moving on to our second news story of the week. We are now up to 29 states or districts with some form of active legal sports betting. After last Thursday, Maryland joined the party with the launch of retail wagering. The first bet was placed by Governor Larry Hogan at MGM National Harbor's Bet MGM Sportsbook and Lounge with Hogan betting on the Baltimore Ravens and the Washington football team to win their respective conferences. Uh, Joe Theismann was also at the ribbon cutting and had the more chalky prediction of a Pat's Bucks Super Bowl. Uh, two other Maryland casinos, Horseshoe Casino Baltimore 
and Live Casino and Hotel Maryland opened their sports books on Friday, the next day, with Hogan again on hand, along with the likes of Ed Reed and one-time Gambleon guest Ron Jaworski. Uh, Maryland mobile betting, unfortunately, now seems like it won't start until the second half of 2022. Uh, Bennett Conlon did a great job covering these openings for Sports Handle. John, from reading Bennett's coverage, thoughts on these events, on Governor Hogan's NFL wagering skills, or on anything else? Well, my first thought is, you know, back in the mid-1980s, uh, so-called big screen TVs were rare, but a local sports bar had a massive one that was quite an attraction. So on Monday Night Football, I saw Tyson's leg get snapped in half on a life-size <laughs> screen by LT, and there were many replays of the same because, uh, you know, mostly people had, you know, 18-inch televisions or whatever, and you couldn't really see what was going on, but uh, I got it larger than life, and it was kind of brutal, but uh, I digress. So uh, nice work by Governor Hogan, by the way, on picking Navy to upset Army, especially if it was a money line play and an eight-point uh, spread game but yeah ravens and teams to the super bowl pure political pandering <laughs> but you know these slow moving states like maryland have gotten me to thinking though if it takes a couple of years to launch something that i don't think many people in the state oppose anyway is that in itself effectively a referendum on the effectiveness of these state governments eh, i'm tempted to say yes but this issue isn't quite consequential enough in the grand scheme of things to really assume that at all so you know like 10 years from now no one will remember that maryland moved with well crab-like speed on sports betting legislation. There you go. Um, So my memories of the Theismann injury are, uh, I was in fifth grade. I was not staying up to watch Monday night. It was a Monday night game, right? Is that that right? Yeah, Monday night football uh, at the time. Um, So I just remember uh, learning about it in school the next day. And of course, it launching the middling NFL quarterback career of Jay Schrader. Um, (laughs) So uh, a few notes from Bennett's articles. Um, Interesting that he identified a sense of relief from Hogan that it's up and running. Uh, We spoke several weeks ago about Hogan's outrage over all the delays. So even though mobile still isn't all that close, I think this was important to him to at least get retail going. Um, as you pointed out, uh, Hogan in his second bet uh, at the FanDuel Sportsbook at, at Live Casino took Navy to beat Army at plus 270. So nice hit there. Um, and uh, I saw that the mayor of Baltimore, Brandon Scott, uh, he apparently bet on Lamar Jackson to win MVP of the NFL. Uh, this was before <laughs> before the most recent Ravens game, but still, he's he's definitely drawn dead on that one now, and it probably wasn't a good bet at the time either. Um, meanwhile, two more retail books are expected to get approval to open before December is over, and two off-track betting facilities are on track for early 2022. Uh, and those OTBs, uh, one is minority-owned and the other is female-owned, falling in line with the diversity initiative baked into the Maryland legislation. Yeah, you're, you're right about Hogan. You know, he's generally considered a pretty effective governor, and I think that he saw this as kind of an embarrassment. This is something he, he put a lot of public uh, standing on, and the, the longer it was delayed, the longer I think he took it personally. So uh, I think relief is, is a good word to describe how he probably felt. Yeah. All right. Our third story is something a little different. It's a sportsbook media personality deal, and it's a huge one as FanDuel signed radio host and former Indianapolis Colts punter Pat McAfee to a multi-year contract extension. And according to Sham Sharania of The Athletic, the deal is worth $30 million a year. Uh, In a video announcing the deal, but not the exact number, McAfee said, we just got paid an absurd amount of money. Uh, the deal means FanDuel remains the official sportsbook partner of his Sirius XM show and other ventures, and he'll continue promoting FanDuel at every turn. I have to admit, I don't know much about McAfee. I've never listened to his show other than some quick clips here and there. 
but the guy has certainly carved out an impressive post-punting career. Uh, John, to use McAfee's words, how absurd an amount of money is this for someone to promote a sports book through various media formats? And if the Pat McAfee show is worth $30 million, what do you figure Gamble On is worth? Oh, I like that. Nice turn there. Uh, you know, we haven't caved into partnering with anyone, preserving our journalistic integrity, or possibly no one has suggested it. It could be either way, but right, I don't know. Way. I've never been management for a reason. But uh, <laughs> anyway, you're ahead of me here. I've never heard of this show and barely know that McAfee was a punter and is a talk show host. And with a little effort, uh, I discovered that he is part of the Mad Dog Russo radio network on Sirius XM, which apparently still exists. I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> but I do know who Mad Dog is. He had a wildly successful sports talk radio show for decades in the New York market with uh, Mike Francesa. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when Mad Dog showed up in a press room with no fans around, he didn't act like he owned the place. He seemed to respect those of us drones who provided him with the fodder to make millions the next day on his talk show. The other guy, not so much. Anyway, I, I guess it comes down to whether young people will be loyal to the sports betting brand of choice for radio hosts they like. I don't know, but I'd say FanDuel kind of needs to get this one right. Yeah, I would think so. At that at that price point, they got to know what they're doing here. Um, as others uh, pointed out when the deal was uh, announced and that number was leaked, uh, McAfee's money is particularly alarming when you compare it to current NFL quarterbacks. Um, you know, here's a retired punter making $30 million a year. Only nine NFL quarterbacks are currently making more than that. McAfee will be out earning Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, and on and on. And he's earning almost 10 times as much as the highest paid active punter, the Seahawks, Michael Dixon. Um, and since uh, I know very little about Pat McAfee, I went where everyone should go when trying to learn possibly true information, Wikipedia. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I found uh, a story there that seems yeah. worth sharing. Uh, but again, note, it's Wikipedia. I, I can't say with certainty that it's true. But anyway, a uh, quote, uh, this was uh, it, when he was in high school, it says, as a senior, he borrowed $100 from a friend and played poker at an illegal club, turning it into $1,400. He used the funds to finance a trip to Miami to participate in the final day of a national competition highlighting the best field goal kicking prospects in America. McAfee made nine consecutive field goals, starting at 25 yards and moving five yards out each time. He narrowly missed a 70-yard field goal with the ball missing to the right, but with enough distance to make it. After returning home, he was approached in the school's lunchroom by Tony Gibbs and West Virginia's recruiting coordinator who offered him a scholarship. Uh, so uh, there you go. Um, it's, uh, if he has a less stellar night at the poker tables, maybe none of us have heard of Pat McAfee and, uh, and FanDuel is now splitting that $30 million between Raskin and Brennan instead. <laughs> yeah, it was, we're that close. Just that, <laughs> that you know, close. Yeah. Uh, if only he had, you know, he, he probably, uh, you know, hit on the river somewhere and that's right. the one thing that got him there. And if not for that, uh, it's so close. <laughs> <laughs> Sliding doors, John. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The man we are about to welcome to the podcast has been described by some as the Dean of American Sports Betting. He can also be described as the President of U.S. Bookmaking, as a former Chairman of the Board of William Hill U.S., and as a 2020 inductee of the Sports Betting Hall of Fame. It's been about two years since we last had him on our podcast, and that is far too long between appearances. Vic Salerno, welcome back to Gamble On. Well, thanks, you guys, for having me on again. It's always a pleasure to be with you. 
So as a 40-year veteran of the sports betting industry, we have to get your reaction to the somewhat polarizing comments by DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins recently when he essentially said they don't want customers who are in it to make money. Do you feel there's a problem with that philosophy or is the philosophy fine, but he just shouldn't be saying it out loud? Or, or do you not even take any issue with him saying what he said? Well, I think I understand what he said, but he didn't see it in the right way. And uh, if you look at that, we don't like uh, me personally in our operation. What we do is we like to have wise guys or, or smart guys betting with us. And what we try to do with them is, is use their information to help get to the right lines quicker, which is the secret to good bookmaking, in my opinion. So I think what he meant to say that, but it just didn't come across the, the right way. But there are people that just throw out people if they're winning. But if you've been in the business for a long time, it just doesn't pay. They usually send in somebody else, what we normally refer to as a as a beard to make the bet anyway. So why not use it? Uh, these wise guys, I mean, it, it has turned into a, a better's market now, more than a bookmaker's market. I mean, if you go back in history and look at when I started, I mean, we were writing tickets by hand and we were just writing pre-game and then, gee, somebody come up, well, let's do totals. And then we had totals and games, but we didn't do totals on certain games. Uh, for example, college basketball, we didn't do totals on. Uh, we didn't even book college basketball until January 1st. So things have changed. And what what has happened is we've opened up so many um, derivatives of games. I mean, almost every game now is like a, what a Super Bowl was at one time or when they first started, where we had all kinds of proposition wagers and, and that. Uh, and now it's become almost every game, any league, all the way down has many derivatives. And that is very difficult to manage. And most of these derivatives are really based on algorithms. And the algorithms, if they're off, you're going to really take a beating on the derivative markets. I mean, when you get to the third quarter of a woman's basketball game, for example, nothing against women, but I mean, if somebody's betting you on that, you know, there's something that they know that you don't know. So it's, it's a different world. We've kind of really opened up Pandora's box here, I think. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of, with all these markets out there, you're on the one hand, you're opening yourself up to more risk that you're going to put up a weak line or a mistake line and somebody can jump on it. At the same time, uh, I guess you uh, minimize variance a bit by having so many markets uh, that uh, one or two little errors here and there get balanced out by all the other options. Is that fair to say? We hope it goes that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes it just doesn't go that way. I mean, there's just so many opportunities that uh, I remember uh, probably about 10 years ago when uh, Don Best came to us and says, I got great news for you guys. Uh, we're now expanding from 200 college basketball teams to 300. I said, that's not good news. That's terrible news to me. Yeah, I mean, this means as a bookmaker, whatever you we have to follow 300 instead of 200. So you've increased our, our base of games by 50% on a sport that we're not that good at. 
we don't know when Alcorn State plays Morgan State or that somebody's hurt. I mean, you see this like last week in, in Prove, how to, how to get out with the with LeBron James that he had COVID or he tested positive with COVID. It got out people, some people better. How'd that get out there? Did he tell somebody? Did the guy that gave him the test tell somebody? Did the manager? It really, it's very difficult now. It's a very advantage to certain people that uh, are smart players and making a living doing this. Now, thankfully, we have some players that are recreational players and, uh, we overcome it most of the time. So that's, uh, that's my feelings. And I, I, I think he said it the wrong way. And, uh, it could have been said a bit differently. Right. Uh, you know, Vic, talking about sharps, uh, there's a lot of excitement in the Northeast among uh, uh, those top, you know, professional gamblers hearing about Ocean Casino, which is one of the more upscale properties in Atlantic City anyway. But, you know, they had been partnered with William Hill, which the name's going out of business. And obviously they've sparred with uh, with some of the sharps in the past. So they go from that. They're going to your company. They're excited about that. So let, let a lot of people know about, um, you know, what's the new book going to be called? When do you take over the lines and uh, what kind of upgrades, if any, can we expect as far as the sports book goes? Well, Ocean is completely remodeling that sports book and doing it over. And they're going to have stadium seats up above, if you remember where it was before. There's like a balcony up there. They're going to have that. They're putting quite a bit of money into it. <clears throat> we'll have a new system. As far as the book itself, well, I, I know William Hill policies very much. And William Hill has a tendency, what we were just speaking of, to they don't want winners. I remember when they first bought our, our previous company, they said, why would you book to somebody you know that's winning all the time? And I said, because he knows somebody else that he's going to tell once I cut him off and I'd rather know what he's betting and be in a, give him small amounts, but use that. That's tremendous information to have versus just cutting a guy off. Uh, we uh, will have a new system, of course, there. That's by Ellis Gaming, the company that just bought us. They have several, uh, I would call them upgrades and innovative parts of their system that should be interesting. Uh, for example, when you bet round robins, you, you can bet any amount up to, say, 15 or 16, and you can bet twos, threes, fours, or, or whatever. And it's the system is so smart that it cuts out uh, correlated parlays and takes them out of it. And on the same ticket, you could have a straight bet on each one of those also. So it's very uh, much more complete system for the player. I think the players are really, really going to like it. Yeah. So when does that uh, take place? Uh, when does, when do you take over? And then uh, is there, is it going to be called ocean sports book or another name or no, it'd be ocean sports book. And okay. uh, it's going to be March 1st that uh, we'll take mm -hmm. over. Okay. Right. In time, in time for March Madness, huh? Well, yes. It, it, it came down to there. We were supposed to go in in October, but uh, um, because of technology, not technology, much regulatory and things like that, uh, William Hill wouldn't didn't want to get out until Super Bowl. 
speaking of the you know retail sports books like the the one at Ocean, uh, you came up in the retail only sports book world. Um, but of course, with U.S. bookmaking, you provide digital solutions as well. Uh, in states where both forms uh, of betting are, are legal, we typically see ninety percent of handle coming online. Some states even more than that. Projecting five, ten, fifteen years into the future. Could you see a world where the in-person sports book is nearly extinct? And and would it sadden you if that happens? You know, like if sports betting becomes like DFS, something people only do on their phones and computers, would that uh, be uh, be distressing to you? Well, would, but I don't think it's going to happen completely, especially okay. especially in the casinos. It is, you know, when when we started and when the casinos here started accepting sports wagering. Uh, it was all, always called an amenity, and I think it's now a necessity for any land base to have it. Now, yes, it's true. Now, remember, I started as retail, but we were the first with a mobile app. Uh, we went to Apple. We convinced Apple to allow us to have an app on, on in their store, which was a very difficult thing. We spent about three hours with their attorneys and they didn't realize how well regulated we are and that we had reserves in case they thought they were going to be the ones taking the risk and one of the big parlay. So we got that. So yes, I believe that there'll be downsides, but I still think they'll be very successful on big, on big events. So just like what you're talking about with, with the March Madness. Now these large events for the casinos and the land base are very easy. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to build a church for Easter. You, you, you can really have a small everyday book, and then you always have ballrooms that you can extend your book into with televisions and and point of sale things. And and you can have the mobile and have the party, and the person can use the mobile app also in kiosk. So, I don't I don't think they're going to completely go away. I mean, some people you look at horse racing, and the uh, few places that still have horse racing here. It's really more of a club for old guys that love horse racing and they go there every day. And I mean, in, in my old days, we had old horse players too. And we were really their home for them. So uh, it, it does provide a, a physical place for somebody. They called it home. They loved it. They loved their friends and everything. So I don't think they're going to completely. And yes, of course, I'd be very disappointed if they disappear, but I can't. I really can't see that happening. I mean, is it going to happen with iGaming then too? Are we going to have casinos with slot machines? Why aren't people just going to sit on their couch and get the button? So, you know, sometimes, unless the the world is changing, but I I hope it hasn't changed that much. Right. I think I want to look back a little bit the last three and a half years. I mean, on the one hand, something like 30 states or so have legalized sports betting. Uh, That's... I think kind of impressive. And I'm not sure what you expect that I want to ask you. But then also California, Texas and Florida, each are their own messes, basically. And New York, as we start 22, still doesn't have mobile gaming, um, mobile sports betting, although they are going to have it. So, I mean, overall, are you kind of impressed with how things have rolled out in the U.S.? Uh, I'm I'm really shocked. I mean, uh, what I thought was going to happen when PASPA was repealed is that all the major casinos and, and operations in Nevada would just start remote locations 
satellite books in, in the other states and then run it from here and use Las Vegas as a hub. I didn't anticipate Europeans and Australians coming into the business as much as they did. And somehow along the road, uh, one thing happened. iGaming got put in with sports betting. Uh, and I don't know why that happened or it should, except their mobile, I guess, is digital. So why not put, make uh, casino games digital also? Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of iGaming. I think it can be very very uh, destructive if it's not monitored very carefully and they need to add more controls to it. So when, when it was allowed to have iGaming with sports betting, most of the Europeans came in, they didn't have true American, Americanized systems, uh, but they had the iGaming. We weren't doing iGaming that much. I mean, in Europe, they've been doing it for 20 years or so. So it's going to be a difficult situation going forward with iGaming, in my opinion. But I was very surprised. As far as California goes, it's going to be a continual war between the racetracks, the card rooms, and the, and the native tribes, of which I make the favorite, of course, the native tribes there. Uh, Texas. They've always been anti-gambling, although I think most of the offshore probably comes from Dallas and Houston in sports betting. Now, there, with the Oklahoma tribes have really done well in drawing the people across the, the Texas-Oklahoma border. I don't know if you've been there, but those casinos are, are massive, very successful casinos. I don't know what's going to happen. New York is just, they're just ready to screw up something else as... They have history in doing and everything else. I mean, the tax rate, 51%, we pay 6%, 6.5% here in Nevada and still have a difficult time making it, especially in retail where you have employees and rent to pay. And even in mobile, if you don't advertise, you're not going to get it. So there's cost in mobile. They're not as much as, as in retail, but there are a lot of costs in mobile. So I don't understand how you can... I didn't understand how anybody in Pennsylvania is making money. And with all the, it's another thing, advertising is going crazy and they're starting to get some blowback against advertising on every, every sporting event, other things, every other commercial is bet this one or bet that guy. And I think uh, some of the regulators, well, I know some of the regulators, as you know, have come out and said, better calm it down a little bit. So, there's going to be there. There are going to be changes. You know, the fear always is federal government comes in and takes over, and then it doesn't get any better. And uh, we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we attract the feds into our business. Yeah, I want to ask you about DraftKings and FanDuel. I mean, I think in New Jersey the regulators were surprised. They assumed that the uh, operators that uh, had casinos in Atlantic City would kind of take over the sports betting market right away. And it said FanDuel and DraftKings, who, you know, they weren't, the regulators weren't even that familiar with. Um, they were the ones that were very aggressive, making phone calls, having meetings, jumped in there. They grabbed the market share. I mean, MGM and Caesars are fighting back now, but I mean, FanDuel and DraftKings are still in the lead. Are you, you surprised that was the casino industry kind of asleep at the wheel here? Very much so, John. I think you're right on point about them being asleep at the wheel. 
But, you know, the, the Caesars and the MGMs, all the large operators really weren't sports books. They, like I said yeah. before, they considered it an amenity. And, you know, we'll get it if the guy across the street gets it. But they never realized what potential it had, especially in New Jersey. I mean, you go to Meadowlands and, wow, they just put people through. It's like insanity there. And we found out that, in, in D.C., what's happening, what happens at the stadium, and just we're in one little bar, there was our Ellis system, and we, we're just expanding, we're du doubling every month in, in uh, D.C. in our operation. So that's been very, very successful for us so far. So I, I just don't understand if, if you work in the city and you can go across and get better odds, which will come out ultimately, especially the larger wagers, they're going to still stay with New Jersey because you can't give the same odds and pay 51% taxes as the guy that was only paying 7% taxes. And the math doesn't work out. And you've seen that with, with uh, the mergers or how companies gone in, into New York in groups. Uh, I think it's, things happen that I never anticipated. Who the hell knew what a skin was? And these skins went to their cell. And then if you look at other states, Iowa, the FanDuel and DraftKings did a very good job and they've got the majority of the market regardless of where they're at. They've just done a hell of a job. Now, of course, they had the Daily Fantasy Sports guys and they had a huge database and they kept the daily fantasy sports, but they've converted a lot of that into, into sports betting. And, and really, what are these new propositions on games where, you know, will Brady throw for 350 yards? Not, I mean, those are really go right in the daily fantasy thing, but now they're gambling. And when you go back, and is it when we used to argue whether DFS was gambling or a game of skill, uh, definitely was gambling then so i think that's what's happened it's not that i'm telling you something you don't know but you can look forward to more of that happening that the problem is those two that we're talking about are really in a war and they don't care they come out and said they don't care about making money they just want acquisition and retention of the of the customer base and that's where yeah, it's it's fascinating, and uh, it's been fascinating for these three and a half years, the way things have developed, and obviously with New York and Florida and California and Texas all at various stages of getting close to joining the party or not so close, it's going to continue to be fascinating for, for, for years to come, it would seem. Yeah, they're all gold mines. Uh, every one of those states is potential gold mine, and, but look at how they're all screwed up. I mean, Florida <laughs> now, lawsuit after lawsuit. Uh, New York, who knows what's going to happen to New York and then California with the ongoing fighting. So I, I don't know. Your guess is as, as good as mine. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I'm sad, you know, I, I'm sad with the way it's going. And when you look in, into the future, it's going to be bookmakers versus automation. But the automation has to be made by the best bookmakers. I mean, we we look at these, and if these these algorithms that they're using are off, they they're potentially done. The biggest problems we're facing now is really 
timeliness. It's very difficult to do an on-game thing and be ahead of a customer. Mm-hmm. It's the time, the speed, the, and if you if if you have delays, you're going to get killed. And uh, I mean, look at me. I mean, sometimes these companies are so big they got they're worldwide companies, and and a bookmaker's in England gives it off to the bookmaker in in New York, gives it off to the bookmaker in Nevada, gives it off to the bookmaker in Asia, and sometimes things fall through. And that's why the one big thing happened on a Japanese baseball game. Right? Who the hell would ever thought we were going to? I have nothing against Japanese baseball. It's probably second to American baseball. It's very good, but but. Hell, um, they get there's people out there that have to know a hell of a lot more about it than we do, and it's always been from day one, it's always been information, information who gets the information first and how that translates. But yeah, that's uh, that's where, where we're at, and uh, I think you're going to see there's a there's a huge consolidation now. We're like John, you said we're three and a half years in, and when you look at these numbers that coming out of. Colorado and Iowa, uh, some of the other states in, where they're disclosed, you wonder how can these people make it on that? They're, how can they overcome their, their operating cost? Really, FanDuel's not making money. I don't know if they'll ever make money in either these draft games. So there are very, very few, if any, companies that when you're spending thousand or more dollars for customer acquisition it's very difficult to make that back if the guy's a ten dollar better so or you're giving somebody a five thousand dollar free bet if he loses he gets another one and if he wins he gets the money some of these promotions are are crazy but we'll all survive we're we're still in business after probably the most disastrous sunday that we've had it's the most disastrous sunday since i've been in the business i remember was this Sunday. But I have my grandson's roommate who's 21 years old in Oregon has a 13-team parlay going, going to the Monday night game and he bet $20 and it pays $103,000. Uh, you know, it must have been a bad day. So somebody <laughs> did that. And they offered him $33,500 uh, to, to give him back the ticket before the game. I don't know what he wound up doing. I hope he gave the ticket back because he would have lost it. But, you know, so there's all kinds of different stuff happening here. Yeah, well, the, the good news from the bookmaker's perspective on those is that uh, you may lose uh, this time, but you uh, you, you end up oh. getting it back eventually. So, so I, look, I don't look worried too much. Right, about. no. <laughs> like right, we well. always say they're going to have more bullets this week and they'll come out twice as much. So easy, let's bet more, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's always a great conversation uh, when we have you on, Vic. Uh, I'll let our listeners know they can go to usbookmaking.com to, uh, to learn more. Uh, Vic, Thanks uh, once again for joining us on Gamble On. Uh, you guys are the best. Let's gamble on, baby. <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks very much, John. Keep right, writing the good stories. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. And we actually had a good, solid, productive week, not just a dinky $1 or $10 win like we posted (laughs) recently. We won three of four bets. Uh, My little NFL over-under streak remains intact and uh, now qualifies as an actual streak. I won my third in a row with the under in Titans Jags. We won $100 there. And I hit my boxing bet, Nonito Denaire by KO. He got the job done in the fourth round. So we profited $70 on that one. John, as you kind of predicted might happen, you split your two bets <laughs> and uh, sacrificed the big. Uh, the Army Navy over didn't come in for you, but the Blue Bombers covered in the Grey Cup final. So those basically cancel each other out, minus $10. Um, that means overall we won $160 on the week, putting us $1,564 in the red. We still have $1,360 on hold in futures bets. So that means we have $7,076 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and obviously, I have to try to extend the streak. Uh, NFL over-unders, I looked at the menu, and the one I like best this week is over 46.5 in the Bucks saints game. Uh, the Bucks at home this year, six games, they've scored 31, 48, 45, 38, 30, and 33. When they played the Saints in New Orleans on Halloween, they lost 36-27. So that was a total of 63 points scored between these same two teams. Now, admittedly, the Saints with Taysom Hill are not an offensive juggernaut. A lot of running plays. The game moves more slowly. They put up 30 last week, but that was against the Jets. Uh, But uh, we don't need 30 from them here. We need maybe 14 or 17. Look, if this line was 48 and a half, 49 and a half, it might be a stay away. But I think 46 and a half is too low. The Bucs might get all the way there or almost all the way there on their own. So uh, I see that Betfred has it minus 105 in both directions. So let's uh, take advantage of that and bet $105 to win 100 on over 46 and a half. All right. And I got to start with the first of 43 college football bowl games. And that sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. There are 43 college football <laughs> bowl games. Uh, so let's all blow off work on Friday at noon Eastern or 9 a.m. Pacific and bask in the warm glow of the Bahamas Bowl featuring traditional rivals Toledo and Middle Tennessee State. Now, I've been to Toledo because a buddy of mine once went to law school there and I've been to Tennessee, but just Nashville, which is not in the middle of Tennessee, I don't think, but uh, that's not why I'm going with the Rockets, uh, who apparently almost defeated Notre Dame earlier this year. Uh, Toledo's a team with a good quarterback going against one with a third-string version, and middle-level programs don't have three good quarterback choices around. So the best number I could find was Toledo, minus 10, at 115 to win 100. But as always, shop around. Okay. Uh, My second bet is a boxing bet, a heavyweight rematch Saturday between fringe contenders Joseph Parker and Derek Tesora. Parker won their first fight by close decision. This fight is minus 125 to go the 12 round distance. Parker has never been knocked out. Chisora has been stopped, but it's a rarity. Eight of his 11 losses are decisions, and two of his three KO losses happened seven or more years ago. And more importantly, Parker isn't really a knockout puncher. Against world-class opponents, he almost always goes the full 12. So this is good value on a fight, I think has about a 75% chance at going all 12. So let's risk $100 to win 80. Doesn't matter who wins. We just need it to go all 12. 
Sounds good. Now, among the countless ball games on Saturday is the first one, I think, is 11 a.m. Eastern time. The roofclaim.com Boca Raton Ball, where I expect <laughs> to see Jerry Seinfeld's parents in the stands and possibly Jerry himself, too. It is the holiday season, after all. Right. Uh, this one matches up Appalachian State and Western Kentucky. So, no, no, I'm not taking that bait, Eric. <laughs> I'm just going to stay away from that. Let's okay. just focus on the game where I like Western Kentucky's offensive line to be stoked to help quarterback Bradley Zapp get the four passing touchdowns he needs to get the 61 and break Joe Burrow's hallowed NCAA record dating all the way back to, all right, well, two years ago, but still. Um, <laughs> so give me the Hilltoppers then at plus three and minus 110, but make it 160 to win whatever one wins when that bet is 160 at minus 110. Can I, can I, convince you to go up to 165 to yes, make it a nice season even I'm feeling so good win. about zap here that um yeah 160 okay we'll make sure. the math a little easier 165 right, to good. win 150 i like okay. it right. <laughs> and we finished the show with the fast five where last week the football spread gods deviated from the script and let me have a winning week while smacking you <laughs> around a bit uh we had two shared picks the raiders and the football team and those both lost we had one head-to-head. I had the Saints and you had the Jets. I won that one. And I won my other two, including an overtime escape with the Buccaneers to end up with a three and two week while you split your other two with the Falcons sparing you from the Ofer to give you a one and four record on the week. You are, of course, still miles ahead of me with four weeks remaining. Your record stands at 36, 33 and one, whereas I'm 10 and a half games behind at 26 and 44. And I'm up first this week. And obviously, this is a weird week. So much COVID news, so much COVID news still to come. Thankfully, this Omicron variant appears not to be too life-threatening, especially if you're vaccinated. But boy, oh boy, is it spreading fast. The expert predictions about its contagion levels were accurate, it seems. Um, Anyway, very tough to handicap these games. but maybe that'll help me. Maybe chaos is my friend. Uh, I'll start with the Browns plus one and a half at home against the Raiders. Cleveland was going to be the clear favorite in this game, but the coach is out. The quarterback is out. Others are out. Now they're getting points at home. But the thing is that the Raiders are a mess and Case Keenum might not be any worse than Baker Mayfield. I could see the COVID situation rallying the Browns. I like them to win this game and put the final nail in the Raiders season. So I'll take the Browns plus one and a half. Next up, I'll go against an AFC North contender with a lot of COVID and injury question marks. The Ravens are five and a half point dogs at home against Green Bay. And I like the Packers here giving five and a half. Uh, Green Bay, 11 and two against the spread. Best ATS record in the league. One of the few reliable teams from week to week. I'll take them. Uh, Next, I'm going against the whole lead topic of my line it up column on US bets this week. I wrote about this rare and wonderful opportunity to bet against the Jaguars and get a field goal or more. But then they fired Urban Meyer at midnight last night. And I expect that to uh, ignite something in these players, loosen them up. It can only help, really. So God help me, I'm taking the Jags minus three and a half against the equally terrible Texans. Um, And I'm not done picking awful teams. The Lions are getting 13 at home against Arizona, and I think that's too many points, even for a one-win team taking on a 10-win team. DeAndre Hopkins is finished for the regular season. That doesn't help the Cardinals. They'll win this game, but I don't see them covering all those points. And lastly, I'm picking against a COVID-ravaged team, uh, but 
I was prepared to pick against this one anyway. Give me the Seahawks getting four and a half in L.A. against the Rams. Seattle literally can't afford another loss. Uh, They're still technically alive for the playoffs, but they have to win out. Russell Wilson is starting to look like Russell Wilson again. I think this team really shows up and brings its A game here, whatever that is. Whereas the Rams, they just won their regular season Super Bowl in Arizona. Good spot for a letdown. Now they have a COVID outbreak. It's a division rivalry game. These are almost always close. So I will take Seattle with the points. All right. And so after 12 weeks, I was 33, 26 and one. I'm hitting picks at a 55.8% margin. That's really good. Um, Then 35, 29 and one after a two and one week turns into a two and three week. Okay. Solid 54.6. No problem. And then the one and four last week when I was sitting on three and two pace at halftime of the five early window games and you know what now i'm no longer even making money as i sink to 52.1 percent a shade mm-hmm. below that 52.4 magic number needed to break even with a minus 110 spreads so i reference sports author john feinstein's season on the brink title no pressure none at all i just <laughs> need an 11 and 9 finish for another profitable season and we have covid cases as you note that will move most if not all these lines by sunday so we have that going for us too so with great trepidation here goes <laughs> Uh, Chiefs minus three at Chargers Thursday night football. Typically, I hate road teams giving points in a divisional matchup with short rests. But Andy Reid and his staff, I suspect, have mined out their strategy for this game for weeks. Less experienced staff on the other side of the field won't be nearly as prepared. Cowboys minus 11 at Giants. I say at Giants, but if you listen to the crowd, it's going to be like last week in Washington. Mm. You'll hear louder chance of coop by Cowboy fans that for Amari Cooper than this spirited booze of the remaining home team fans who haven't quite sold their tickets yet. You know, Giants coach Joe Judge is all hat and no cattle. His players know it. And plus, many of them are banged up ill or in pandemic protocols. Another road favorite in a divisional game. What could go wrong? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Meanwhile, best bet, lock it up. Texans plus three and a half at Jaguars. Okay. And you're making me love this one even more. You know, (laughs) sometime between sundown's broken finish and midnight's broken toll, as Dylan once called it, Urban Meyer, right, got fired as a Jaguars head coach when we awoke on Thursday morning. And for many amateur bettors, which, okay, apparently I've turned into, the bell will be tolling for the searching ones on their speechless seeking trail, meaning you pick the Jaguars. But don't fall for it. Rookie quarterback Trevor Lawrence still doesn't have a clue. And as terrible an NFL coach as Urban Meyer was, this roster stinks too. Next up is Broncos minus two and a half versus Bengals. This is a good growth year for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. So watch out for them next year. But I sense a breaking spirit there. Broncos defense is legit. Pretty good at home. Try that. And finally, Monday Night Madness and Vikings minus four at Bears. So difficult to give a point spread on the road in a divisional game. Wait, what am I thinking again? <sighs> Got hapless Vikings coach Mike Zimmer at the helm, even more distracted than ever this season uh, because he's dating a foreign supermodel. Uh, you can yep. Google that if you like, kids. Uh, but these are the picks I chose, even with another sinking feeling inside. And <laughs> Come Tuesday, this bell might be tolling for this aching one whose wounds cannot be nursed. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'll make you feel even better by letting you know I was very close to being on the opposite side of two more of these picks. I thought about the Chargers plus three and the Bears plus four. So if indeed I am as cursed still as I was for most of the season, uh, you should be in good shape here. But that we need to come up with some kind of uh, side bet prop bet for that Houston Jacksonville. If that's your best bet, uh, lock it in. Guaranteed. We we got to come up with something to increase the stakes on that. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll think about it off air. Um, And that'll do it for this episode. 
episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Vic Salerno. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. That's so one news item that came out this week that we didn't get to, possibly because time has passed us by. Something many of you would find to be a possibly a gambling game changer in the world of esports. Yep, esports. Hard Rock Casino in Atlantic City is going to host a Madden 22 contest on January 22 and 23, which will be a 256 player in person double elimination tournament. This is the first event of its kind in the U.S. in that it has been approved by a state regulator and participants can legally wager on themselves. The game mode is exhibition head-to-head, quarter lengths of five minutes, skill level is all Madden, fatigue, weather, injuries, and accelerated clock settings will all be off, and the game speed will be normal. Now, I have no idea what any of that means, but after having earlier quoted a song written in 1964 repeatedly, it seemed only fair to offer something for our younger audience, too. (laughs) And with that, until next time, gamble on.